Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It took me a long time to get to this point, but I think it's the only way that you can be a truly fearless entrepreneur is you have to be okay with the fact that 99% of the time when you start a new business or a new partnership or a new business venture, you're not going to see the finish line from the start, right? There's going to be twists and turns and you may not know, you know, you may only know steps one through three and there's going to be 300 steps to get to where you need to be. So I always say, if you know steps one through three, do those three steps and I can almost promise you, we can promise you, right, that the next steps are going to reveal themselves to you. Like you'll figure out what to do next. Everything in life is figure outable. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you just heard in the beginning, of course, is a guest for this episode. Absolutely one of my favorite people in the world, let alone one of my favorite people in the fitness industry, Miss Lauren George. Lauren, who can be found at laurengeorgefitness.com. One note about that, I've known Lauren for a few years, and it's been really fun and fascinating Watching her grow her Instagram feed from maybe 10, 12,000 to more than 100,000. In the meantime, she's created an app and she has, if I start listing her businesses and what she's involved with, that's going to take the rest of the podcast. And we talk about it during the interview, so I'm not going to do that here. But Lauren is a creator, meaning she creates group fitness programs, she creates content, she educates other fitness instructors. She does a lot. And her energy, her enthusiasm really comes through whether you speak with her in person, you watch her on a video, or you're going to hear in this podcast. What we talk about today is what it takes to be an entrepreneur in general, and more importantly, what it takes to be an entrepreneur in the fitness industry where there are so many options and so many possibilities. You can do brick and mortar. Now you can do virtual. There are a number of different ways, and Lauren has done both. I'm not going to go too long into a lengthy intro just to say that what we talk about today can be applied to any industry that you work in because fitness is just the industry we happen to work in, but whether you're in banking, marketing, telecommunications, whatever it is, it takes drive, it takes focus, it takes hard work, and it takes failure. One of the favorite, one of the nice threads, one of the fun threads we go down is what we learn from failure. And with that, we're going to get right into the interview. Here we are with Ms. Lauren George of Lauren George Fitness. 
talking about what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, both in the fitness industry and other parts of your life. Today, I'm all about fitness. We are speaking with young, I guess it's a fitpreneur. What do you prefer, Lauren? Do you prefer, a fit, prefer fitpreneur or mompreneur? How, how would you describe yourself? <laughs> I mean, I'll take either one, but I probably just use entrepreneur the most kind of all-encompassing, right? <laughs> well, is it, what do you think about that? It, and it, you know, I'll be doing intro, so everybody's going to hear sure. who you are and what you've done. But what do you think about that whole category of, of what we see online? And this has been more about the last three to five years in the making of these independent entrepreneurs. And that's why I want to speak with you today, because you and I have been friends for a few years. But I'm really, I'm more, I'm amazed, Lauren, and I think I've told you this. I'm amazed by just, I've watched you grow a business. I've watched you just really establish yourself. So what do you think it is about our industry that really allows opportunities for individuals like yourself to be solopreneurs or fitpreneurs or mompreneurs or however you want to classify yourself? (laughs) Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, Pete. It's such an honor. And like you said, we have been um, good friends for a while, and I so enjoy listening to your podcast. So I am thrilled to be here today. I do think that that is one of the beautiful things about our industry is that there are always new opportunities. And most of us listening, you know, we probably are very aware of the fact that there are still a lot of people that we're not reaching, that we haven't helped find their way to fit or stay committed to fitness. And I think that in itself breeds an opportunity and a need for continuing innovation, um, looking for those opportunities to serve a new need in a different way. I always kind of halfway joke that I was an accidental entrepreneur, not to downplay the amount of work, um, but I went to college for sports management and kinesiology, both in my undergrad and my master's. So I knew from the beginning that I wanted to work in kinesiology, but I will also admit that I am a pretty risk adverse person by nature, which is not probably typical of an entrepreneur. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going pa- to hit pause on that, Lauren. <laughs> okay. What do you mean by your risk adverse? Because what are the steps I've seen you take and everything that, you know, you and I have collaborated on one or two things, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but the steps I've seen you take, I, that's one of the things that I really, I, I'm, that, that I respect about you. You seem somebody that under, that sees an opportunity and you go for it. So don't call, don't say that you're averse to risk because no. I would challenge you that you are, that you, you do take risk. But I have a system to decide which risk I take, Um, a very strategic system that plays into any business that I've gone into uh, has, you know, I've answered these couple of questions before I've decided to dive in. And the first one is, and that was kind of where I was leading into with the fitness industry, is it's always easier to fill a need, right, than to create a need. And even from a marketing standpoint, if you are just answering someone's question, answering their need versus having to educate them on why they need what you're selling, it's always going to be easier to be successful. So almost every one of, you know, the businesses that I have created over the last 10 years have been literally love my husband, but because of his job, we've landed in a new location. You know, I've kind of surveyed the scene, the landscape of where we're at um, at that moment and seen what was needed in the fitness industry. And if there wasn't 
a spot where I could fill that need at a current institution or a current business, or even just in my current situation, somewhere I could teach. I had to create that opportunity. So number one was I always tried to look for a need, um, maybe not even intentionally, but just once I saw the need and thought, oh, that was a need that I could probably fill or I had the expertise to fill, um, then I would look to the next step. My next question that I always ask myself is, if this doesn't go well, what is the worst case scenario and will it put my family in a bad financial situation? So if I have to take out a big loan, you know, if I, when I was deciding whether to open my brick and mortar studio in Clemson, South Carolina, that was one of the huge factors when we were looking at locations to rent. It was like, can we do this? And if it goes downhill, will my family be in a bad financial situation? And when we found the location that I felt comfortable with, that would not put my family in a bad financial situation, should the worst case scenario happen, not that I like to be doomsday, but you kind of have to think through those things. Um, then that's when we were like, okay, this is a go. There is a need. We can pull it off without, you know, having financial constraints, something that we can definitely do. And then the third thing um, that I ask myself always is, we obviously want to be extremely passionate about what we're doing, but there's always, you know, a risk versus reward or, or trade-off, right? Whether you're trading your time or you have to let go of a different job or, you know, time with your family. And so when you're taking on a new project or if I'm deciding whether to start a new business, how much time is that actually going to take and where is that time coming from um, is definitely the third thing or the third criteria I look at before diving into any new new business. So while yes, I probably dived in more than the, the average fitness entrepreneur to new businesses, um, starting, sold, all of the things, uh, I definitely do have a process that I go through before I do that. No, but that's pretty remarkable to see that. And now I want to make the point and I'm going to make the call out because it's not like you're an entrepreneur who picked the industry, right? And, and it, we see that a lot by people who, and, and, and I'm sure you're like me because and you have a much, much higher um, social media profile than I do, but on LinkedIn and other ways, probably once or twice a month, Lauren, I get one or two people emailing me stuff like, I'm, you know, I have this great idea for the fitness industry. I have this thing and that thing. And they're trying to crack the fitness industry as an entrepreneur and, and we both know that if you don't understand the industry, it's not going to be that successful. So what was it? So you're not somebody coming in saying, I want to be a business person. Let me pick fitness. What was it that drew you to fitness? What was it that made you want to go study kinesiology and sports management in the first place? Sure. So I've always loved group fitness. I was never the super athletic child. I was a cheerleader and I love sports. I love attending sports, but I was not any kind of super sport athlete by any stretch. And I can remember as far back as junior high, loving group fitness. Like I had the DVDs. I had a gym membership whenever I was in high school. And so when I went to college, I was very excited to start teaching group fitness at the university that I attended, um, which was Texas A&M. And they have a phenomenal group fitness program. They're kind of known for, for pumping out really great fitness professionals. So I was really excited to, to start teaching. But even at as far as my freshman year of college, I didn't think that I, that would be something that I would do full time. I was a political science and Spanish double major. Whenever I went into college, I wanted to work in foreign relations, uh, which my husband always jokes is really funny because I, I um, really like people to be honest. He's like, you would have been eaten alive in politics, Laura. And I was like, yes, I probably would have. But my freshman year of college, I took a kinesiology class. It was actually step aerobics, which I feel like is very fitting. And I saw my professor, one, was doing this full 
full-time. I was like, this is something that I could really make a full-time living in. And, you know, back then, especially being from a fairly small town, we didn't see a lot of full-time fitness professionals. I didn't really have exposure to any full-time fitness professionals in high school. That wasn't something that was really kind of on my radar until getting to college. And so originally I wanted to be my professor. I wanted to teach in the university. And then the second thing that I noticed was this professor, her name is KB. I've talked to her this year, actually. We still keep in touch. I saw how much she helped. There were a couple of girls in my class that, um, you know, maybe wouldn't have found their way to recreation to taking group fitness classes from high school. There's kind of that that gap from we're either playing team sports or we are in physical education in high school to now you're all on your own in college. And to really see how she helped to usher that in for these individuals um, really spoke to my heart. I will never forget that experience. It was my fir- first semester in college. And so I changed my major to sports management and kinesiology um, that next semester, much to my father's not liking at that time, but he's come around now. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that. I, I, I know we've talked a little bit about, because there's one time we connected when you're on your way to DC. I didn't realize, because I was, I mean, as you know, my undergrad was economics and, and yes. government. And this was a side gig for me when I was working in DC and whatnot. So that's kind of funny to have that. I didn't realize we had that kind of that similar background of interest in politics. Now, can I ask a question, Lauren? And I'm not trying to age you by any stretch of imagination, but to contextualize your entry into the fitness industry, what year were you a freshman in college? 2007. Okay. So you were there. So that was right before we had the downturn and that was right as CrossFit was coming online that was before right. the explosion of Orange Theory. That was before the. That was right as boutique fitness was kind of starting to happen. Very much so, right? And, and, and so, at, being that, I mean, what do you think? What do you think is attractive about a career in the industry? Because I mean, the reason why I ask is I entered the industry about ten years earlier in '98, and and it it never occurred to me. I was working part time at a gym, and it never occurred to me that I could do this full time for a living. For me, I needed a free membership because I was a young 20-something in D.C. and I was training for rugby and I just needed a place to work out to, to get in shape for rugby. And anyway, I just it didn't occur to me that you could make a living in this. So as you work, were working with that professor and you're looking at the landscape in 2007, what about the, what? how do you think that you're going to make a, make a living? I mean, what was your plan for what you're going to do when you got out of school? Oh, I love that question. And I actually don't know that I've been asked that question before. So originally, when I first switched my major and I went to grad school, I was a graduate assistant at the University of North Texas, where I helped to run their group fitness. I had every intention of spending probably my entire fitness career in the university setting. I wanted to be a campus recreation director, just like my boss was at Texas A&M, who is my mentor and like my second mom. Um, And so I had every intention of staying in the university setting. And then, you know, life happens, right? So my husband's first job takes us to Dallas, and I took my first full-time job as a group fitness director at a really large health club in downtown Dallas called the Baylor Tom Landry Fitness Center. Um, And then as we started to move to different places, there wasn't always a university campus recreation job available. So I had to get creative uh, as far as what I was going to do and where I was going to teach. And I honestly think as much as I miss campus recreation, I did go back to campus recreation for a short time um, while we were at Florida State University in Tallahassee. But other than that, I've been kind of in the private sector, corporate sector, or as an entrepreneur. And I'm so grateful for that because I don't think 
I would have taken that step. I know I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't have taken that step had I not really been forced to look at things from a different viewpoint and with open eyes and create those opportunities. I probably would have been very happy to stay because I do love the university sector um, my entire career. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about speaking on fitness business topics, why we created the Fit Biz Club is because I really think there are are so many incredible opportunities for fitness professionals that we're sometimes afraid to ask for. I always tell new instructors, if they're like, I can't find a job. I'm like, well, have you gone in and asked? Have you taken a class? And after the class, found out who the fitness director was and asked for a job. Because I can guarantee you 75% of group fitness jobs are not posted online. And I just don't think that's always how our brains think. And so my goal is to help more people think like that. And we say think like an entrepreneur, which can sound scary, but I honestly like think think like you're just going to take your career into your own hands. Like we can't just wait for everything to be posted. That's not how life works. I, it's so funny, Lauren. I was having this conversation with, with a colleague the other day because that right now coming into a full-time role working for a health club with a lot of young fitness professionals, the hardest time I'm having is working with, with people who aren't motivated to do the job to the best of their ability or aren't motivated to be great at their job. You know what I mean? I think yes. you, you are where you are. Because you are Anybody I interview on this podcast is going to be where they are. They're going to be somebody who's done something because they're motivated to go out and either be the best they could be or make a difference in somebody's life. And I think anybody who's drawn to fitness, one that's one of the things that draws us here is we want to make a difference in people's lives. And we don't want, I don't know about you. I don't want to go just go through the motions. Right. I, I won't be good at it. You know, right. I want to be, I mean, I want to be one of the best at it. You know, I don't want to just go through the motions. And so for me, the hardest part I've had coming into an organization is looking around and going, what the F? Why aren't you guys, why aren't you, don't you understand, don't you, you have to go out and work for it. It's not going to give, you're not handed things. You have to create opportunities in this world. Now, and, and we firmly believe that that luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparation, right? Yes. And what's been not your observation with that? I mean, how, how do you deal with that when you work with people? How do you respond to that when you kind of see that lack of drive or that? Because I'm sure you see with what you do, you see both sides of the equation. You see people like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's pull you back a little bit. Let's 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 put you in a system here because you're, you're spinning your wheels going so fast, but you're not getting anywhere. Then you have other people that just have that inertia. So how do you how do you respond to people that don't have that motivation to to be better, to do that one percent a day of improvement? Right. Well, it's so tough. I kind of look at it from two different ways. One, I look at it from, you know, the side that those that do have the motivation to go the extra mile, to do the extra work, that their light will shine the brightest. And I want to help those people's light shine even brighter is always my goal is to, to help those people to be successful and to be all that they can be. The other way that I look at it is, and maybe I'm a glass half full kind of kind of gal in this situation. Sometimes I think, is it necessarily that they don't want to do the work, or is it that they think everything needs to be spelled out for them? step one through 30, right? And that's what I, I say all the time, kind of going back to my three criteria that I was saying earlier. Another thing that I 
it took me a long time to get to this point, but I think it's the only way that you can be a truly fearless entrepreneur is you have to be okay with the fact that 99% of the time when you start a new business or a new partnership or a new business venture, you're not going to see the finish line from the start, right? There's going to be twists and turns and you may not know, you know, you may only know steps one through three and there's going to be 300 steps to get to where you need to be. So I always say, if you know steps one through three, do those three steps and I can almost promise you, we can promise you, right, that the next steps are going to reveal themselves to you. Like you'll figure out what to do next. Everything in life is figure outable, but that's scary to a lot of people, and I think especially a lot of new fitness professionals in our industry, they're like, okay, I graduated college, I'm gonna be an instructor, I'm gonna do it for this long, then I'm gonna be a personal trainer, and then I'm gonna move up to management, and then they think that there's like this, you know, step process of, of how it's going to work, and it's not always like that, and if you feel like you have to know where the end goal is to get started, you're never going to get started. You're going to have major analysis paralysis, and you're not going to go anywhere. So if you know the next three steps, you take those three, and then the next three will reveal themselves, and you will just keep going, and it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like when you get to the finish line. I would say that's true for the majority of my projects that I have mm-hmm. done over the past you know, 10 years, but a lot of times it's even better, but if I would have thought I had to have you know, the end product visualized before I started, we would have never gotten started. Well, and that's interesting because you're right. I mean, when I started this podcast, I'm going to move my chair. I'm going to stand up. My back, my back was bothering me sitting down. So that was, so for people listening, I was just getting up out of my chair and and standing up where we're we're talking. uh, I was sitting at my desk and, but, but, but you're right. Cause I think, I think a lot of it is we don't know what to do. And, and so we kind of figured it out. Like when I launched this podcast, Lauren, I didn't really have a game plan. I knew I wanted to do it because I enjoy having these conversations and I wanted to share them with the audience. And I wanted to try to put good information out there. But I was like, you know what? Let me build the plane while I fly it. Let me just, you know, let me get it up in the air. Let me get it going and figure it out along the way. And, and I think I, how much, let me ask you this question. I'm trying to think of the way I want to phrase this question, but how important is it to not be afraid of failure? Cool. I think it is so important, and I will also admit I am terrible at that. You joked earlier about how you like to to be good at things, and that is something that I am constantly working on is the fact that I'm going to have to be okay with trying something even if it doesn't work, right? And I think that's where it comes back to being extremely passionate about something because if you are truly passionate about a project or teaching a class or starting a new business and it happens to not work out, we don't necessarily see our time as such a failure if we were doing something that we loved and that we thought were helping other people, if even if maybe it didn't end up helping as many people or making as much money as we had hoped it to. I mean, I definitely know that I've had things that I thought were going to, you know, go gangbusters and maybe they eh, ended up all right, yeah. but not exactly how I was hoping them to be. But I loved it while I was working at it. So I don't necessarily, it didn't feel like such a huge failure to me in that way, if that makes sense. Well, no, and I think I think that's the right way of looking at it. And I say that because for anybody out there who's thinking about doing something new or thinking whether it's applying for a new position at your, where you currently work or changing your career, because one of the one of the constant themes I talk about on the podcast, Lauren, is how a listener 
who loves fitness can do what we've done and transition from whatever they may be doing now and transition into the industry as a career. But there's a huge fear factor because of the unknown. And and, and one of the things that, that that's guided me in my life is I don't look at anything as failure. It's just as like, okay, it's a learning opportunity, right? I mean, that comes from playing sports where you play a team, especially when you play a team that's, that you know is better than you. I mean, your goal is to try to play them to the best of your ability and you may or may not win, but at least you walk away from that match going, I got better today. I learned something, even though we may not have scored more points than they did. I got better as a player. I got We got better as a team or we came together as a team. And so I, I just think that in our culture, we're so fearful of failure. We don't look at it as the right learning opportunity. Is that is that kind of how is having that mindset? Well, how do you think having that mindset of looking at failures learning? How do you think that's important for an entrepreneur like yourself? Yes, I do. I think it's so important. And like I said, it's something that I definitely struggle with. And more so from the fact that I think a lot of people who have entrepreneurial tendencies are also perfectionists, right? We are go-getters. We (laughs) like to try new things. We're going to take it on ourselves versus on waiting someone else to do it. So we have that kind of type A perfectionist personality a lot of times. So sometimes we're the only ones putting that pressure on ourselves that it's a a win or a fail, right? If we helped one other person, that person thought it was a successful venture, but we're thinking, oh, I had the goal of, you know, reaching 10 people or growing it to this amount of revenue or reaching this many states or or whatever our, our goal was. So we have to really look within ourselves and think who is defining that as a success or a failure. And if it's us, well, then maybe we just need to check ourselves, which, you know, that happens on the hour for me. So pot probably <laughs> total black here, but I'm telling you what I'm trying to do, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also, like you said, you know, can we learn from the experience or I try to make a mental list and maybe this is my, my perfectionist personality coping mechanism, but I try to think about even if it didn't directly result in reaching the goal we had for ourselves. Let's just say it was a revenue goal, right? What else positive could have come for that adventure? I'll just give like a very a very basic example. So one of um, the things that I do is present workshops, right? For fitness instructors, we'll go into a host facility, train the instructors. And there's definitely a number that we would like to have in that training that helps to offset our travel costs, makes it, you know, a successful business venture for us to go and do that training. And there have definitely been multiple trainings where I maybe didn't make very much money or didn't make any money for whatever reason, whether it was the time of year or I just didn't have enough time marketing or or whatever it was. But when I look back at it, I can I think of I can think of one specifically that I was going in. I was like, oh, I should have done this better and this better. I should have given myself three more weeks to market. I'm like thinking of all these things in my head that I should have done differently. Um, And then after the training, like a week or so later, looking back, a couple of those individuals in my training then joined me for a different project. And now a year later have referred me so much business. I could have taught that training four times for free and still be coming out of head. So you just never know what's going to come of the opportunity. So before you write it off as a failure, could you look at maybe what were some of the auxiliary things that came out of it? Because if I just looked at that one day in isolation, okay, I maybe made, you know, a, a few dollars compared to what I would have, you know, normally preferred to make had I been traveling for a training. But now hindsight being 2020, a year later, it was probably one of the most valuable trainings I've done. That's 
I love that, you know, and, and I'm not a huge Gary Vee fan. I, I you know, I, I respect what he's done marketing wise. I respect that, but just, um, and, and I love, but the one thing I read that I heard from him say years ago that it resonates with me, especially somebody doing a podcast is one is better than none. It just, mm-hmm. be, and that's a perfect example of that, Lauren, you did a small workshop. It really didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Eight, 12, 16 months later, you can identify huge opportunities that, that evolved out of that. But what that gets to is that gets to a mindset, a positive mindset that really seeks to look at the best in every situation. How do you develop that? As somebody that, that's gone through what you've gone through, worked for private enterprises, worked for yourself, collaborated with other professionals, how do you, well, and, and I don't even want to talk. I mean, the audience should know that you have a very, very busy life. You know, not only do you work and do a ton of different things work-wise, um, can I share what your what your husband does? I mean, oh you, sure. Okay, so Lauren's husband is a he's an assistant AD, right? Yes, assistant athletic a, director. He's an assistant athletic director for a large SEC school. So she has a very busy life working as a kind of an adjunct to a large sports department at an SEC school that's outside. I mean, is, am I right with that? Am I correct with that? Yes, yes, he does. He's he's busy, and we go to a lot of things, and it's a, very fun. But it definitely. There are a lot of events. <laughs> but and where I'm going with but where I'm going with that. So you have a busy work life, you have a busy, busy family life doing with your family thing. What's your how do you keep a positive mindset? Like how do you what's your and, and I'm not just talking about waking up in the morning, meditating in the quiet, you know, you see all these little internet gurus, you know, saying, you know, I take two hours in the morning to, you know, drink kombucha tea and whatever, whatever. Because Lord knows we don't got that time. You know I what I mean? But, no. <laughs> but what what are, what are your what how do you Keep a positive mindset so you have this energy to fire on all cylinders like you do. Oh, man. I mean, every day is is a different day. And I'm not going to say that I do it perfectly every day by any stretch. But I think a lot of it comes back to doing what you love, right? So we talked earlier about, you know, making the leap to full-time fitness can be scary. But if you're doing what you truly love every single day, my husband and I actually talk about this all the time because we're both workaholics and we we joke that, you know, the girls go to bed and we're on the couch and I'm like, I love you, babe. Type, type, type. He's like, I love you, babe. <laughs> type, 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 right? But it works out fine because we yeah, both yeah. love what we're doing and we both support each other and it's all good. But I think that's really is probably the key to it is, well, two steps. One, loving what you do, but then two, recognizing how lucky we are to be doing what we love. So there are definitely days where I feel overwhelmed or I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I say yes to this project or that project? Or <laughs> you know, if I have to go to one more sporting event in the same day, like I love sports, but like I, I might explode. Um, I remember like, but oh my goodness, like how many people, my husband was a public accountant first. Like we are, he loves what he does, right? Um, I love what I get to do every day. I'm very blessed to be able to work from home and travel from work. And I have an eight and a six-year-old be able to pick them up from school when they need to be. And so just trying to remember to count the blessings, like, sure, it would be really good to meditate every morning, but I am definitely not there yet. So working on that one. Well, and that's, but that's the thing I think, I, but I, I, I love the fact that you brought it back to love what you do, right? Because I think that is, that's a key thing. I mean, having been in the game now for a number of years from, I'll, I'll hit, in 2023, I'm going to hit a quarter century in the industry, um, which uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but just it's a thing. Uh, and that's been, but the thing is, is I love what I do. And and could I have made more money doing something else? Probably. But I look at that, Lauren, is I've had the chance to travel around the world. I've had done some really cool stuff and, and I've had lots of fun with lots of really neat people. Could I have had more, a few more dollars in my bank account if I'd gone into finance or gone and done something else? 
Sure. But I look at it as this is a fun way to have a career. I mean, because look at as a fitness instructor, what do we really do? What is the essence of what we do, Lauren, as a fitness instructor? We help people love to move. That's my goal is I want people to realize that exercise can be fun. And, and how do you do that? Like what are, and this is where, what I want you to, now this is where I'm going to ask you about your specific business. Business is, sure. I'm going to put a plural on that for listeners. It's not like, I'm not talking to Lauren because yeah, she runs one thing. I'm Lauren, I mean, this again, where you're going to get a little exhausted hearing this. So let's go <laughs> talk through Lauren about a couple of things. Cause you're, inv- you and I are involved in one project. I am your, you know, for full disclosure, I am a consultant for you in one yeah. project where we, we align together on one thing. But that's where I'm just so like, wow, fascinated and just impressed and respect and have so much respect um, just because of what you do. So go through a couple of things, go through what you do. Sure. Well, can I roll back real quick to your previous question, which actually rolls into this, but um, because I do like practical takeaways anytime I listen to a podcast and we're talking about loving what we do, even going one step further than just, you know, okay, go into fitness and you'll love what you do forever. Hmm. There are facets of fitness that we love more than the other, right? There are definitely things that I have done in the industry where I'm like, oh, that is not really my jam. Like when it all comes down, if I boiled it down to like what I love most, it is helping other fitness instructors be better teachers or be better entrepreneurs. Like that is the core passion of mine. And so when taking on new projects, I ask myself, like, does that feed that core passion? Does taking on, you know, a personal training client at 5.30 p.m. in the evening when I would really rather be running my girls around, does that feed that core passion? And if you really think about what projects you're taking on, even within fitness, I think is so important. Um, That is such a huge factor in preventing burnout and loving what you do. And that goes to, you know, what are your most creative times? My creative time is in the early morning. If I'm teaching an evening class, it is always going to feel like more of a struggle for me than to teach a class at five in the morning. So even within our industry, there are going to be things that we love more than others. We're going to have prime times and not prime times. We're going to have seasons where Mm. we love one thing and then not the other. So realizing that we have to honor those factors, even within the fact that we know how blessed we are to work in the industry, that goes a long way in preserving our energy reserves so that we can um, be a little crazy. Like maybe I was over the last 10 years to start a couple of different businesses <laughs> yeah i i'm just letting that I'm, I'm letting a pause there um that's stay what you just said and lauren is so important right because it goes beyond loving what you do you you can love what you do but you have to still have a passion you still have to have a drive and, right. and that really and again i mean i resonate with that because years ago i made it my personal mission statement is i want to make make the world a better place through fitness one drop of sweat at a time yeah. And then my, the tagline is fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And, yes. and those, I mean, to have that mission and to have that goal, that's what drives me, you know, and, and now being, you know, being the organization I'm in, it's like, it's a different approach to it than what I was doing before, but it's still, but the point is for listen for, for, for you, the listener, you need not only to love what you do, but you need to have that internal passion and an internal drive that really I'm staring at my microphone. I'm talking to my microphone. <laughs> But but what you do have to have that internal passion. You have to have a value, whether you're in fitness or not, whatever you do, you have to have something that, that drives you. So what are your businesses? Let's, let's run them down. Come on. Yes, yeah, sure. So going in order, the first business I start was um, first business I started was Pulse Point Bar, which was my original bar company. 
believe that was 2015. It was right after my first daughter was born. Um, We were living in Austin. And then in 2017, shortly after we moved to South Carolina, I merged with Bar Above, which is owned by Savier. So um, our two companies merged and we redid some of the education. So I had the opportunity to um, join forces with Trisha Murphy Madden and Leslie Bender. And then while we were in Clemson, South Carolina, I opened my first brick and mortar studio called Clemson Fitness Company. So it was a boutique fitness studio. We had between 40 and 55 classes a week. So it was just, you know, a studio floor, not a full um, gym. And we had an amazing time. It is still going today. I sold it um, right before we left South Carolina. Also, while we were in South Carolina in 20, the very end of 2019, December of 2019, I believe, um, my business partner, Mariah Seacrest Comer, and myself decided that we wanted to help more fitness entrepreneurs um, start their businesses. And so we created Fit Biz Club, where we put on fitness retreats, um, virtual and in-person workshops. We do a lot of one-on-one coaching and branding coaching, social media, marketing, um, help and uh, present at different conferences on behalf of FitBiz Club. And then let's see. So then fast forward, of course, we had Thou That Shall Not Be Named, right? We don't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, My husband also got another new job. And so we moved to Startville, Mississippi, which is where I live now, sold Clemson Fitness Company. And since moving here about two years ago, Pete and myself um, had the opportunity to work on a project called Pumped Up Strength, where we rolled out a new group strength training course, which has been extremely fun. We're about to celebrate our one-year anniversary with that, and we teach that virtually, and then now we're starting to offer more in-person certifications. While here in Starville as well, out of kind of necessity, and then it has morphed into something that I completely love, I started a virtual studio called Lauren George Fitness, which now has um, its own app. We offer some in-person classes here in Starville, pop-up special events, and then of course have the full on-demand app of, I think it's almost close to like 300 workouts now and do um, quarterly challenges. So that is really fun as well. And then under my solo consulting umbrella, I do um, a lot of speaking and at different conferences. And then let's see what would be the right terminology for this content creation work, continuing education, creation, um, writing programs for other companies. I work for a couple of different equipment brands where I help write their continuing education and um, support their different pieces of equipment or educational programming. I think that's everything. Yeah. Well, don't you also teach on, don't you also teach uh, for? I do. Yes. So I'm faculty at Clemson <laughs> University. I teach nonprofit leadership for them. I knew I was forgetting one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just laughing more because I don't know about, I don't know about any listeners out there, but I'm just exhausted here, kind of hearing you run down that. I mean, and on top of that, you have your two daughters and on top of that, you, you know, you, you, you really, you're, you're a phenomenal partner with your husband and it, it just is, but you see that, but, but I ask that and, and I point that out because it is possible. And I'm sure there are some days where you're like, oh, my goodness. But you you keep that drive and you keep that motivation because you know you're helping people. You know you're helping make the world a better place. Now, with that, let's take a look at the, 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 our business and our industry, because I know as much as it's as much as it's become. And I'm trying to think of how I want to ask this question, because the, the thing about the fitness industry that, that's always kind of I don't want to say bothered me. There are two things. One is the fact that we're still viewed as kind of like a recreational hobby, 
that we're still, you know what I mean? Where it's like, we're, we're seen as like a pastime. We're seen as like, Oh, that you're going to go work out. And it's like, honestly, this is, and this, this is not just because of what I do, but from studying the human body for 20, 25 years now, we need to move to optimize our bill, our health. We need to move. We need to exercise at least 30 minutes every day to make the machine that we've been given as effective and as sufficient as possible. Do you think that's changing, Lauren? Do you think the industry we've had an evolution? Because I think I've seen it. I think after 2020, finally, we're starting to see the evolution of more inclusivity, more fitness for health. Do you think we're finally, have you observed the same thing? And do you think we're finally at that tipping point where now, where we're now going to be no longer seen as kind of a curiosity or just like a, Oh, it's just those, you know, meatheads, whatever. But do you think we're, do you think we're becoming more part of an integrated mainstream of our culture and society? I do. I hope so. And I think, of course, we would like to see it happen faster or um, on a bigger scale. But I do think we're moving in the right direction. And I think, of course, some places are going to be further ahead um, in that area than others. But I do think as fitness professionals, too, we have to take on the responsibility of demanding to be treated, you know, as professionals versus as this is something that I do, you know, as a hobby. And I will just be candid about it. I live, you know, in a smaller town. I do, I have a mom, I teach group fitness. Like I could very easily be categorized as like, oh, she teaches fitness as a hobby, you know, which if you teach three classes, it's still not a hobby. It is still a job. So I'm not downsizing or, or, or saying that if you don't do it full time, it's any less of a job. And I think that's where the kind of disconnect is, is, is if people don't teach full time or work in the industry full time, maybe it's other people that see them this way, or even maybe they see themselves this way, which I know for a long time I did, as we love what we do so much, it's almost hard for us to demand as much or to be taken seriously as much because we're like, yeah, I mean, you're right. I do have a really good time doing what I do, which we do, right? But we still also put in a lot of hours of continuing education. I have people that take my courses all the time that teach three classes a week and have more certifications than someone that has maybe been in the industry for 20 years, right? So it doesn't matter how much you're doing it. But I think when we can start to see ourselves as professionals and feel comfortable going into medical facilities and talking with insurance companies and, and doing things like that and stepping outside of what we would typically think of as our normal operating patterns inside of the gyms and um, inside of boutique fitness studios, that also allows us to grow in inclusivity when when instructors have the confidence in themselves to say, look, hey, I'm going to go over to this community center that is maybe in an underserved area. I'm going to offer classes. I'm going to carry my own insurance. I'm going to show up with my own stereo. I'm going to put it out there with the marketing experience that, you know, maybe they learn through an online course because they can now and reach that underserved population because they took themselves seriously enough to feel like they could do it on their own. So I think it's kind of, you know, an ever evolving situation that 
the health situation that we've been through the last two and a half years have definitely opened the doors for us to grow as an industry into new areas and new ways and hopefully be taken more serious so that we can reach more people in different ways. But we have to continue to do the work. Like it's not just going to happen if we're not intentional about making it happen. No, that's a very important point because you have to, we, and then that's on us, on all of us, you know, you right. hold me accountable for being more professional. I hold you accountable for being more professional. And then in turn, we, everybody holds each other accountable. And, and then finally to wrap it up, cause I know we're coming up on, we're coming up on the end of the, the, end of the conversation. And this is really, this is a great way to end because I am always, always extremely critical of our industry, Lauren. And we've had this conversation. I think one reason why we see so many female entrepreneurs in our industry is that there really is women get siloed in our industry into group fitness, into human resources, and into marketing, right? right? So when you look at many of the when you look at many of the executives of any any large club chain and even equipment companies, you see sales, you see operations, you see, I mean, majority of the companies are still male dominated, where you still have and women are relegated to, oh, she's the group fitness director, oh, she's right. the HR person, and or they do marketing. And so you don't have, we don't have a system or we don't have a culture where we really allow women to elevate into leadership roles. I think that's one of the reasons why we see so many female entrepreneurs, because they look at the industry and they go, what's my, where's my growth? Where, who can I model my behavior on? Or who can I model my career on? What, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, what have, what, what have been your experiences having worked for, and, and I don't want you to, to, to put down any of the organizations you've worked for, but having been in Campus Rec and having worked for others, what do you see as limitations for women in our field? I think... Or challenges. I should say not limitations, sure. but challenges for women yeah, in our yes, industry. Yes, I know what you mean. I think it's such an interesting question because I am such a fan of creating your own opportunities and no matter where you are in the in the United States, in the world, because I've lived in a lot of small towns where there just aren't full-time fitness jobs, right? That, so you have to create them. So I think a lot of times, you know, the need creates the innovation. But I also think for group fitness, and this is something that you know, we've talked about before, Pete, and and I definitely see how this stereotype can, can cause this, but Look, I love group fitness. When I get on stage or when I'm teaching a class, I am loud and I am goofy and I teach choreographed classes and I'm going to... I know, who would have thought? Never, right? But I would say that it, it is a great time. Then if I walk into a, you know boardroom and they just saw me teach, which I'm not saying I'm going to teach any differently, but I do think that we're not always taken as seriously because maybe they look down on what we're doing in the group fitness room. But um, hello, if we have a hundred people in our group fitness class, we are being successful and getting people moving and having fun. And I can walk into the boardroom with my master's degree and 15 years experience and starting and selling five businesses that are all in the black and I should be taken just as seriously even if I can have a really good time teaching the hour before and I think that that is part of the challenge which shouldn't be a challenge that we're actually really good at our job but that causes us to not be taken as seriously but it's a it's a very real thing right they're like oh she's the fun cheerleading one right and then they don't take into effect that you know I can balance is spreadsheet with the best of them as well. We can do but, both. But that's an important point for any fitness professionals out there, instructors or trainers, even as you're learning and programming, any of you learning stuff, learn the business, 
Learn to talk business, learn to talk. I mean, because it's all ROI, it's all revenue. It's all, and and one of the things that really bothers me, Lauren, is when people say, oh, that's too corporate. That's too this, too that. You're a solopreneur. And if you don't know your numbers, what's going to happen to you? Right, right. You have to know your numbers. One of the best bosses I had, I still talk to him today, um, was when I was at, oh, I've had, I've had a lot of fabulous bosses, but I'm saying more in the corporate setting, more in the traditional setting. Um, we were, it was in campus recreation at Florida State, and he never, ever, ever separated the two. Like he gave everyone credit. Um, and I was, you know, the one in front of him, but, he thought the fact that I was a great group fitness instructor was an asset to what I brought to his executive team. Mm-hmm. He never downplayed the fact that I could go and be a really fun group fitness instructor and then come in and go over the budget with him the next hour. They were never mutually exclusive. He thought the fact that we could see what was being successful in the group fitness studio as a complete asset to boosting the bottom line, right? And getting more people in the gym. But sometimes that's not always the case. Um, And I think, honestly, the fitness industry is missing out on a lot of maybe fabulous ideas that those frontline group fitness instructors and personal trainers, right? So maybe the personal trainers aren't hooping and hollering over the microphone, but maybe their true passion is to be out on that weight room floor helping their clients and they have done all the extra certifications and taken, you know, the specialty classes on knee injuries and how to rehab from this or that, but then they're not taken as seriously because maybe they haven't stepped into that management role, but that doesn't mean they have any less knowledge in a different area. So sometimes I think the people that are doing the most, not not maybe most essential work, but that are touching the most people, right? The most hands-on are sometimes not given enough credit to make that crossover um, into management or the ideas that could help management are not taken as seriously. Well, and then I lot of this, because as you said that, there's a question I wanted to ask earlier and we'll wrap up with this. And then how important is it to tell other people what you want to do? Because you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you did. I mean, I I just try to point that out to people because I love it when when somebody comes up to me and says, here's what I want to do. Here's where I want to go. Because then I know you have a plan and you have a goal. But how important has it been for you to tell people what you want to do? Oh, I think best question of the podcast. Perfect one to end on for sure. That is the number one thing. I tell fitness entrepreneurs, like like I said earlier about jobs not always being posted, is even if you go to someone and you say, hey, look, this is what I would really like to do, or these are my goals, or let's give a specific example. You're a fitness instructor in a small to medium-sized town. You want to teach more classes, but there's not more classes available. So you go to your group fitness director and you say, hey, I love it here. I love the vibe of this gym or studio. I want to spend more time here. I understand that there are not classes available right now, but if I can help you with social media, if I can help you put on more special events, if you ever want to do a six-week specialty boot camp, like I am looking for ways to be more involved 
as a former studio owner, as a group fitness director, when I'm ready to take on a new project or add new classes to the schedule or I need help with anything, that person that came to me and communicated that is going to be the first one that I called. When I lived in Austin and I was the um, the operations director for a studio, that's exactly what happened. I was like, how can I be at this studio more? And my manager was like, well, we're going to figure that out. How many hours do you need? And we created a job. Um, so you never know until you ask and you put that out there, whether that's to one specific person or when I got here to Starville, I told all my realtor friends, I'm like, I need a place to teach. If you know of an empty space that I can rent, let me know. And that's how I found one. And so um, you do, you kind of have to speak it into the universe, but I can, I have in my career applied in the traditional sense for one job. One job have I actually filled out an online application for. I'm trying to think if that's true. I'm pretty sure that that's, pot, that's still true to this day. Um, so one of my full-time jobs, I actually was posted online and filled out. And not saying that that's a bad way to do it, but I'm just saying that that's not how it always works, especially in our industry, because we normally do a lot of different things, not one full-time job. That that's perfect. No, that that that's because you're right. I mean, and, and for listeners, I mean, my, my you know my my story started at the front desk in 1998, right. and, and I went to work for a certification organization ten years later. That doesn't happen. That I mean, you I had to be, and that was having worked in politics for a few years and knowing how to network and knowing how to have those conversations. So, Lauren George, let's wrap up. Give give a few plugs. How can people get? I mean, I love this conversation, and I want to have an ongoing conversation and have you back on. You know, get in the future because. I love your energy. I love what you're doing. I love how you're driving our industry in new directions. Where can people find out more information about you and what you're doing? Sure. Easiest way is just Lauren George Fitness on Instagram. I'm laurengfitness.com um, is my website. But through Lauren George Fitness, you can find more about Pumped Up Strength with Pete and I, which you can also find on Instagram, and Fit Biz Club, which is where we offer our fitness business courses, which we have a retreat coming up in Chattanooga, Tennessee in February if you live down around my area. Um, but you can pretty much get to anything that you need through Lauren George Fitness. And then um, my email and contact information and everything is on there as well so i'd love to connect with all of you if you want to learn how to design your own workout programs and be your own personal trainer pick up a copy of my book smarter workouts the science of exercise made simple i've been teaching and educating personal trainers for two decades and in smarter workouts i teach you how to design your own workout programs for both home the gym and anywhere else you can get sweaty there's a link down below in the show notes and if you want to learn how to use exercise to manage and control the effects of the aging process, yes, exercise can slow down how aging affects our bodies. That's why I wrote my book, Ageless Intensity. Ageless Intensity goes into the science of how high-intensity exercise specifically works to mitigate many of the factors of biological aging. Both those links can be down below in the show notes. And this concludes, I've done a little series here. I interviewed Kevin Carr, I interviewed Molly Galbraith, I interviewed Lauren George. And the reason for those interviews and why I strung them together is I tried, I, I like having little themes. I like having little sequences of interviews. And I wanted to bring you three of the uh, up and coming, I mean, they're already established leaders. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from them. But throughout the last maybe five to seven years, Lauren, Molly, Kevin have really done a tremendous job of moving our industry in new directions from different standpoints, right? Kevin's a performance coach. Molly just saw an empty space and went for it. And Lauren is very creative and just a dynamic entrepreneur. 
for somebody like me, for an old dinosaur like me who's been doing this for 25 years <laughs> and now has uh, more gray hair, I, no, I've never had six-pack abs, but now has more gray hair than six-pack abs, um, it, yeah, this, it's really fun and exciting to see who the up-and-coming leaders are in our industry because, let's face it, these are people who are going to be making you sweat for many, many years to come. As my generation of fitness educators, of content creators and influencers, and let's face it, Gen X really never was in the vanguard of that. It really has been the millennials. And it's not a Gen X millennial thing, but I just as I'm recording this, I'm thinking about it. It really has been that generation. They're now in their 30s who really think about it. CrossFit blew up in the mid-2000s when all these you know, people in their 30s were now in their, in their late teens and 20s. People in their 30s now, and I think, I think Molly, Kevin, and Lauren are all three in their mid to, I don't know, the age doesn't really matter, but they're in that generation who really have come up in fitness with social media. They all have amazing social media followings and all have an amazing presence. The reason why I interviewed them and why I strung those interviews together, though, is I wanted to hear what it takes. I wanted you to hear what it takes to be successful in fitness. Kevin really uses education. Kevin's a very smart dude and really uses education to apply it. Molly was very creative. She saw an empty space that nobody was really addressing strength training for women. And she dove in and created an entire organization, Girls Gone Strong, around community, education, bringing people together. Then Lauren, well, Lauren's just a dynamo. She is a group fitness instructor, educator. She's passionate about helping people. She's passionate about the people she serves and the people in the group fitness community. And I wanted you to hear that the fitness industry is in great shape. If these are the next generation of leaders, if these are the up and well, these are leaders. If they're the leaders that are moving the way, the direction that fitness is heading, hey folks, we are all in great shape. Please check out Lauren's content, Lauren George Fitness. I love watching her workout videos. They're always great. They're beautifully shot. She has cracked the code with Instagram. And if you really want to learn anything about fitness business, I highly recommend one of Lauren's fitness business retreats. She knows what she's doing. I, I can tell you firsthand, I've watched her grow um, the last few years. And that's really, I really admire her. I have nothing but respect for her. And it really was an honor to have that conversation and to introduce her to you. Hey, if you ever have any ideas for content, if you have any guest ideas you want to run by me, please do me a favor. Reach out to me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Again, that's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. And here's one of those little free giveaways. I teased it one time. If you're still listening right now and you want one of my ebooks for free, I have an ebook on exercise for older adults, I have an ebook on dynamic anatomy, and I have an ebook on functional strength training. If you email me and ask me for an ebook, identify one of those ebooks and I will send you a free ebook for listening all the way to the very end. Hey, with that, as always, thanks for stopping by, and I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.